Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning, and we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. Um, I want to make sure y'all are appropriately nervous with me about this. If y'all don't know what this passage is about, I just want to tell you what this one's about. Jesus is about to talk to us about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I know that that's affected some of you in this room. I know that. And I'm going to, I want to address this topic and all that, but one thing I've been dealing with this week as I've been preparing to preach this is, I think I'm just going to tell you what Jesus told us. I'm not going to give you everybody's opinion because everybody's got an opinion. Don't they? Everybody got an opinion. Not just about divorce and remarriage, but they got an opinion about your marriage, don't they? Everybody's got an opinion about your marriage and what you've been through. And I'm just going to say, I'm not going to give you my opinion on it. I'm going to tell you what Jesus told us. That's what we're going to do. Interestingly, too, we're going to see that while Jesus is certainly talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, that is the topic under discussion. That's not all he's talking about. That's not all he's talking about. I was talking to my son yesterday. We got to see him up in Lenore uh, where he's uh, managing a donut shop up there. And we got to talk to him. And I was telling him, you better tune in. If you're not going to church somewhere, you better tune in the live stream tomorrow. He tells me all the churches are shut down up there. I don't believe him. Um, (laughs) And I told him what I was going to preach about. And he said, well, I ain't got to worry about that, do I? And I said, yeah, you do. Because it happens to everybody, first of all, anybody, if anybody is susceptible. And I said, second of all, it's not just about divorce. So I want y'all to listen with this in mind, that Jesus is talking about divorce. That's his topic. But there's a whole lot more at stake here than just that issue. So I want you to listen, with, listen to that, listen to this with that in mind. With that said, I want to begin with just opening with a word of prayer and asking the Lord to help me. And then we'll take our time to go through this passage that our Lord's um, speaking in. Father, I need your help this morning as I preach. I want to preach with passion. I want to preach with clarity. I want to preach with confidence. I do. But Lord, more important than any of those things, any kind of eloquence that may come out of my mouth, I pray that your Holy Spirit will use these words of Jesus, not of Matthew, but of Jesus, to speak to the hearts of your disciples. I pray that your words, the words of Jesus, will speak to the hearts of men and women who are maybe undecided on Jesus. Push them to the point where they recognize they need to go ahead and follow him and quit making excuses. And Father, I pray that this morning will be a time of transformation, whether it's a small transformation that's part of that long journey of sanctification that you you have for each believer, or if it is a major transformation that we may even be able to see with our very eyes of reconciliation in families, hope for the future, a man who was on his way to hell, now on his way to heaven. Lord, we'd like to see that happen this morning. Would you please provide that by the Spirit's power? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in Mark chapter 10, I just want to first draw your attention to verse 1. I, I will just read that. It says, and he arose from thence. Jesus is just moving here. 
and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. The people resort unto him again. Everywhere Jesus goes, people follow him. They resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. Jesus is just doing what Jesus does. He's leading people, he's teaching people, and people are following him. Some would suggest that this, be, this particular verse begins a new section of Jesus' ministry, and I, I think I understand why they would say that in that he has moved from one place to another. But I would still say that this part of Scripture is still talking about that idea that we've been addressing since Mark chapter 8, and that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. So he's teaching, I think this is a continuation of the teaching that he's been giving from chapters 8 and 9. And as he's teaching in verse 1, we see a, a particular set of characters show up in verse 2. The Pharisees came to him. If y'all don't know about the Pharisees, I need to tell you about the Pharisees. Pharisees were, I'm just going to tell you how I think about it. Y'all take this any way you want to. The Pharisees were the independent fundamental Baptists of the first century. They were the guys who had all the answers, had it right, and let's be honest about it. They had it right. They weren't wrong in their doctrine. They added a few things to it. They went a little further, so you might argue that their, their behavior was, they would say, above reproach. That's how they would say it. We might say it, depending on where you stand on the spectrum of things, you might say they're a little legalistic about things, pharisaical, if you will. That's how we would see them. But I would say they're the independent fundamental Baptists of the day. And by the way, in case you didn't know it, I consider myself an independent fundamental Baptist, so I'm identifying a lot with the Pharisees in a lot of ways. But these guys come to Jesus, and by the way, they're not his friends. They don't get along real good. And you can see that because when they go to him, they ask him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer puts in here, tempting him. They're asking him this as a test. They're not asking him this because they really want to know the answer. Y'all ever had anybody ask you a question like that? I know I have. They're not asking because they really want the information. They already have a predetermined idea of what they think the answer should be. They just want to see what you're going to say about it. That's what they're doing with Jesus. The religious leaders of the day, and that's really what the Pharisees were, they were the folks who were in charge of the religious apparatus of the day. They are testing Jesus. They're tempting him. What they're trying to do with this question, they say, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? They're doing this question is they're really trying to, they're trying to peg Jesus, trying to put him here or there. I don't think it's by accident that they use the terms or the phrasing, is it lawful to, for a man to put away his wife? And by the way, just for simple uh, um, um, understanding here, this idea of putting away, that's a euphemism or a phrase that's used in the Bible often for the concept of we would call today divorce. That's what he means by that. But I don't think it's by accident he uses the phrase putting away, or excuse me, uh, excuse me, it's unlawful, is it lawful? He's using that phrase because if you go back to Mark chapter 6 and verse 18, you'll see another man who called it unlawful for a man to put away his wife under certain circumstances. John the Baptist called out Herod because what Herod had done was Herod had had a relationship, an adulterous relationship by anybody's definition, an adulterous relationship with his sister-in-law. 
Now, whether it was later or before this, whatever the situation was, he divorces his wife in order to be able to pursue this relationship. And John the Baptist, you know what he does? He says, man, you're an adulterer. And you know what happened to John the Baptist? They took his head off. They put him in prison and they chopped his head off. In other words, there wasn't a favorable view of John the Baptist by the governmental authorities, put it to you that way. So here's the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, which side are you on on this debate? Furthermore, there was also an intramural debate within the, within the um, religious community. And there's also kind of a debate even today among people, maybe not as vigorous, but nonetheless it's there, was can you divorce or put away um, a wife for any reason or just for certain reasons such as um, infidelity or something like that. And so he was, the, these Pharisees are coming to Jesus and saying, where do you fall out on this? Are you, in the, are you in the John the Baptist camp? Are you one of those radical weirdo people who are going to call out sin for sin and be willing to identify yourself with a man who just lost his head? Or are you going to be okay with what we would today call no-fault divorce and side with the Herodians, which was a really kind of a semi-political, semi-religious group who would kowtow to whatever the government wanted them to do, are you going to be, which, which one are you going to be on? They wanted to identify them. And, and you can see this trap showing up. It, it, gets, it gets set in a lot of ways for a lot of us. It's that age-old sort of a comedy bit, which I can't do justice, so don't, don't even try to think I'm trying to be funny, but it does remind me of um, that little comedy bit where the guy gets asked the question, have you stopped beating your wife yet? You know, where there's no answer to that question in which there's a good outcome. Like, no, I haven't stopped yet. No, wait a minute, no, I've never, not, no. That's, that's what they're trying to do, they're trying to catch him in something. They're attempting to categorize Jesus. They're, they're trying to put him into some kind of predetermined bucket. I think there's either what they're trying to do is with Jesus, they're either trying to get him on our side or paint him as some kind of outsider villain. And this is, I think, what many people want to do with Jesus. You either try to make him agree with you or, oh, that's not the Jesus that I agree with. That's a different Jesus. And that's what they're trying to do. And you know what Jesus does? He knows what they're doing. He's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. Now, if you do this to me, I will probably fall into your trap because I'm not smart enough. Jesus knows exactly what they're doing. He doesn't even answer their question. He cuts to it. He says, I know that you're trying to understand what kind of a teacher I am. So what kind of a teacher is Jesus? We're going to see that here in just a few minutes, over the next few minutes, what kind of Jesus, a teacher Jesus is. You see that he answers their question in verse 3 with a question. Look what he says. He answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? Jesus answers their question with a question. He says, okay, you said, you're asking me, is it unlawful or lawful for, me to, for a man to put away his wife? What, did, what does the law say? What, is, what does the Bible say? Essentially is what he's telling them. What does the Bible say? And they come back with an answer in verse 4. Look what they say. It says, well, they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Essentially, they were saying what, what Moses' law says, and this is actually over in Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you're Bible scholars and want to chase this down, you can look at this. 
Deuteronomy chapter 24, the first four verses, where the Bible does give a way of divorcement, a way of divorcing happening. But Jesus says, listen, look in verse 5. He says, he answered and said to them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. He said, now the reason that's in the law, and you're right, it's there. It is absolutely there. They're referring to this bill of divorcement clause. And Jesus says, yep, that's there. But the only reason that exists is because you are hard in your heart. He is saying essentially that Moses didn't give y'all permission to be divorced. But instead, he's doing something else with that. He's acknowledging that divorce is going to happen, and he's actually trying to protect you. In fact, specifically, I don't want to go too far down this. This is a whole rabbit trail I could chase, but I don't want to. I'm just going to mention it in brief, in brief passing just to simply say that that clause in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the whole purpose of that was actually to protect women. Did you know you ladies did not have the rights and the, the standing in the community that men have, and arguably may not even have in modern times, but they whatever you think you don't have today, you it, double it, triple it, quadruple it. They were very much a lower status. In fact, what would happen is men would take advantage of this. Surprise, surprise, men would take advantage. Could you imagine? So they would take advantage of this. You know what they would do? They would just essentially say, um, I think I want a divorce today, and you're gone. And this poor lady had nothing to stand on, and she can go out in the community and say, well, he just divorced me. And he, they're like, prove it. Well, I got nothing. He just said it to me. And Moses said, you know, if y'all are going to do that, you at least need to write a piece of paper down, go to the, the judge and get it, get, it, get it notarized that, hey, you actually got a divorce here, so this poor lady can go on with her life. And then also protecting her, because here's what the other, guy, the other thing these men would do. I said I wasn't going to run this rabbit trail, so I better stop. But it's interesting to me. What these men would do, you know what they would do? There's this thing called a dowry. Daddy would pay uh, the, the new, the new uh, family some money because his daughter got married. You know what these scoundrels would do? They would divorce the first wife, go marry another, get tired of her, divorce her, and then this other woman had married somebody else, and then he, she gets divorced again. So they go back, and they steal her dowry, and they get their dowry multiple times over. And you know what Deuteronomy tells them? It says, y'all can't be doing that. If you divorce her the first time, quit going back. You can't divorce, you can't marry her again. No, it's not allowed. All this was done to simply protect these women. He's saying that the law is saying that divorce is a reality, but it is not the ideal. It is not the ideal by a long stretch. And I don't know, I've not been divorced myself, but having talked to some that people have endured that, I would say those of you that have endured it would say, it's not ideal. It's not the thing that you would want to choose if you could choose another, another path. And the law is saying, listen, it is not the ideal. It is reality. So what the law is doing is it's minimizing sin's damage. It's looking out for the little ones. He talks about the little ones just prior to that in chapter 9. If you go to verse, uh, what is it, verse uh, 42, where he says, I don't want anybody to cause one of these little ones to sin to make them to offend one of these little ones. He says it's better that they would put a millstone about their neck and jump into the sea. He says, I want to protect them. So the law is simply extending the heart of God into very legal terms. It's essentially saying we're trying to protect people. And he said, well, Matthew, why in the world did you go down all that? Well, one, it's there. It's what Jesus is talking about. But two, I need you to hear what Jesus is trying to get across to you. Here's the hard truth. Your marriage... Is not, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that's the caveat. This is the important preface that's got to go in front of all this. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your marriage is not about you. 
Your marriage is not about you. You see, as a disciple, we have different goals. My goal is not, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, we've talked about this for the last few weeks, hopefully y'all paid attention a little bit, because the disciple's job is not about making himself happy, not about fulfilling his life, not about having the best life now. That is not what a disciple's life is about. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 says that the disciple is going to deny himself and he is going to willingly march behind Jesus to his death, if that's what it takes. As a Christian, as a disciple, I am nailing my rights to the cross. I am nailing them to the cross. My freedoms, my liberties, the things that I think I deserve. We can argue that we deserve them, but he is saying, no, 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 it's no longer about you. In fact, because you want to protect others, you are willingly, as he says in chapter 9 and verse 43 through 48, you would willingly remove a limb if that's what it took to stop hurting someone else. So what the disciple, rather what the Pharisees were doing is they were, like many of us are, we're looking for loopholes. We're looking for the loophole. How can we get what we want and still feel good about what I just did? And if y'all don't, I, I don't know if y'all ever done that, but I know I sure have. I've done some things and I feel okay about it because I've soothed my conscience. But if I'm honest and I look myself in the mirror and say, what did you just do, son? I would have to say that was sin. That was wrong because the, I tried to go through a loophole and Jesus says, no, nope, there's no loopholes. In fact, your discipleship, what Jesus is trying to get us to see here, I know he's talking to the Pharisees, but in extension, he's, he's teaching. In verse 1, he's teaching these people, and he's teaching us. He is saying, your discipleship is going to reflect, or rather, it's going to infect your relationships. Your discipleship is not something you go to church on Sunday, and then you go home with your husband or wife on Monday or Tuesday, and then do whatever you want to do. And go make yourself happy, and if it's not making you happy, or if you decide you want to leave that relationship, or what, that's not how this works. Your discipleship affects every area of your life, and not, not the least of which is your relationships. So the Jesus life that we say we want to be living, the Jesus life is not about getting away with what we can get away with. It's not finding excuses for what we want to feel good about. Can't we find the best excuses, though? I know I can and here the Pharisees have gone, and they have gone back to the Scripture for their excuses. Don't even say amen if you've ever done that. But I can sure tell you I have done that before. I can justify my position, my view, by some verse that I've taken. It wasn't the point of the verse, but I made it mean what I want it to mean because I wanted to feel good about it. That's what they're doing. The Jesus life is not about that. Instead, it's about giving up everything for the sake of the gospel. They go to the law. You see that in verse 3. Jesus, in his response, of course, tells them, listen, guys, you missed the point altogether. But when he says, let me explain where I stand, look at where he goes. Verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Jesus goes back to the beginning. He goes back to the divine standard under which that law in Deuteronomy was written. He's saying there's something that 
undergirds that superseding that that is a bigger thing than this law yes the law is god's word and it's perfect and right and all those things but you need to understand where it's coming from you don't need to start from the law you need to start from the root and jesus in that way yes he is a no loopholes teacher but he's also kind of a radical teacher in that he gets to the root of the matter he gets to the to the heart of the issue he tells us in verse 6 he says that god made them male and female he says that God is the creator. God created everything. He created all humanity, men and women. He created the genders. He created the males. He created the females. And he created them together. If you'll go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, you know that he created them male and female so that there could be a unity, that there could be a relationship. He could have marriage. So God is the creator of marriage. The law is not the creator of marriage. Can I just go ahead and tell you all, the state of North Carolina is not the state of the creator of marriage. North Carolina and the U.S. government can say what they want to and call anything they want to a marriage. They can dissolve any marriage they want to, but that doesn't make anything go right. What the reality of our marriages are, the reality is defined not by the governor or the government. It is defined by God himself. You have to get to that place where you understand what Jesus is saying here, that you need to go back to the beginning, and why does this thing even exist? It exists because God created it. He goes on to say in verse 7, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And when they twain shall be one flesh, so they are more, no more twain, but one flesh. God is not just the creator, he is actually the definer of marriage. He calls it a leave and cleave thing, verse 7. You leave your parents and go to your wife. That's what that looks like. You are setting up shop. You are creating a new entity. You are making something brand new. Why is that? Because God said that's the way that works. There's all sorts of forms and, and configurations that we in this society may call marriage, may call relationships, all kinds of things. But God says the way this is supposed to work is you leave your mama's house, you go to your wife's house, and that's where y'all are going to live together. That's how that works. That's what he said. That's his definition of it. But he also says in verse, in verse 8, it's not just a leave and cleave thing. It's a transformative thing. We're no longer two people. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. Look what he said. Go back to it. Y'all read it. Y'all listening with me? They twain shall be one flesh so that they are no more twain, but one flesh. Now, I understand. I'll just use myself as an example. My wife is sitting there on the third row over here, and I am here. So we are physically different people. I understand that. I also understand that she is her own person. I don't tell her how to run her life and she, she's allowed to tell me how to run mine, but I'm not allowed to tell her how, no, no. That's a joke, y'all. That's a joke, because I don't think y'all are paying a bit of attention to the thing I'm saying. Anyhow, but seriously, I know we're distinct. I understand that. But there is a spiritual reality that God is speaking of here that Jesus is referring to here when he says, you are a single flesh. This is not just a metaphor. It is a metaphor in a sense, but it's not just a metaphor. The fact there is a, con a connection between y'all. I say this, again, without a, a lot of personal experience, but I can only imagine from my own experience of what I've been through, how it might, might feel for some of you that have had to, had to go through the pain of divorce. There's lots of reasons for the pain of that, but one of the reasons I believe, and I, I, again, y'all have to testify to this in your own souls more than I can, 
But I think part of the reason for that is that there is. I mean, Lord hoped there was a reason somewhere along the line that y'all wanted to get together, that y'all had some kind of love and passion for one another, and that when that had to separate, for whatever reason, sin, circumstances, Lord knows what the reasons are, and there's a many of them. There's pain that comes from that. Where does that pain come from? Part of that, if not a lot of that, comes from this fact that you are now joined in a spiritual sense. You are a single flesh. You're no longer two people, you're a unit. That's why over in Ephesians chapter 5, God says that the man ought to love his wife in the same way that he cares for his own body. Why is that? Because she's practically part of you. Eve was made out of the rib of a, of a, of a man. God put him to sleep and took him out of her side because there's a connection there. I can just tell y'all, I don't think y'all believe what I'm telling you, but I'm telling you this is what Jesus said, that there's two people, they come together. It's not whenever the preacher says, y'all are man and wife. It's when they come together and there's a spiritual bond between them. That's not by accident. That's not evolution. That's not biology. That's God putting two people together and making them one. So this is bigger than your feelings that fleet from day to day. This is bigger than that. God has put us together and made us one. And as such, as he says there in verse 18, excuse me, verse 9, he says, and therefore, and what therefore, God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. God is not just the creator. He's not just the definer. He is the uniter. This is not a contract. This is not a marriage license. Again, I understand that there's legal things and all that. This is not what this is about. This is about the fact that this is a covenant. This is Bible language, a covenant. Three people attest to this covenant. The man, the woman, and God himself. And God says, I'm putting this together. And when God puts something together, you can't take it apart. And if you do take it apart... It's kind of like trying to take a watermelon apart with your hands. You try to take that apart. First of all, if you can do it at all, when you do it, what's going to happen? It's just going to have pieces here, pieces there. It's going to be jagged. It's going to, it's going to be a mess. I mean, that's what happens when you take a marriage and you take it apart. And he says, God's, God is the one who puts it together. The message that I want you to hear from me on this, that Jesus, I think, is telling us is that when we're talking about marriage and divorce and all this, this is not just about what I want and what you want or what the government says or any of that. God's truth is at stake. The Supreme Court of the United States has recently, in the last couple of years, and in, in that time period, has also doubled down on this in some ways, have said that two men, two women, can come together and form a marriage. And you can think what you want to about that. God didn't put that together. That's not God's definition of that. God didn't create that. He didn't create it that way. He didn't define it that way. And God is not going to put it together that way. That's not how that works. Congress, the culture, even this church does not call the shots on those things. No one, and no one that you can see defines that. Who does that? It's not even about how you think or how you feel. It's what God has said about the matter. Now, now, I want you to make sure you take what I just said and let's not just leave it at the, the door of the homosexual marriage. Let's definitely not just leave it at the door of the divorce. Let's apply that to every 
area of our lives. It's not what you think about it. It's not what you feel about it. It's what God has said about it. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that matters more to you than your own opinions. I tell you that because a lot of times when it comes to marriage and divorce, we have a lot of emotion wrapped up in this, rightly so, right? I mean, this is, it's personal. I understand that. It's very personal. But what we have to do very quickly, very, very quickly, is understand, yes, I have emotions. Yes, I have feelings. And God, Matt, God cares about those things. He doesn't, he's not ignorant of that. He's not callous about that. But what he says supersedes that. Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you are, what are you doing? You're denying self, and you're taking up your cross. That's what we do. That's what disciples do. I better hurry along, but let me go on. Verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus a question about this. They said they, when he, in the house, his disciples asked him again about the same, of the same manner, matter. Uh, they just want a little more detail. I, I can imagine. Uh, I, would, I would want more detail. If I heard Jesus say this, I'd say, hey, Jesus, tell me a little more. What do you mean by that? That's what I would do. I'm sure that's what they did. And what does Jesus do? I don't know about y'all, but if you've heard this passage before, I think these verses that he gives his disciples are probably the hardest two verses in the whole, in the whole passage. And if, that doesn't, if, if they're not hard for you, well, congratulations. They're just hard for me, but uh, y'all just listen to them. This is what he says. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery, adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. The disciples want more detail, and you know what Jesus does? He doesn't call this a legal matter, a political matter. He doesn't call this a difference of opinion. These are all things we want to do with, with this subject. You have your way, I have mine. What Jesus does is he doubles down, because Jesus is a against sin kind of, kind of teacher. He calls this what it is, sin. It's adultery. He goes back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14 where anything that breaks the bounds of marriage, goes outside of marriage, where there are other parties that become involved in that marriage, the Bible makes it clear that's adultery. The message is that sin hurts. Sin causes damage. Did you know that sin damns people? Jesus doesn't sit with sin and make exceptions. He doesn't dance around sin. He doesn't play with the edges of sin. Jesus says there's no exceptions. In fact, in these two verses, he makes an interesting uh, distinction that actually the ancient world did not make. We now today would make some distinctions between this because we have a little more uh, gender equality, maybe not as much as we'd like in some cases, but nonetheless, they had none in that day. So Jesus actually saying that a woman being put away, excuse me, let me go back to the verses here. In verse, he says there, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery. And then in verse 12, that a woman putting her away her husband, he actually says, it doesn't matter who's putting away who. Further, first of all, if you're the one divorcing and you leave and you go with another person, that is adultery is what he says. There's no exceptions for men or women. There's no whataboutism. We do, this is awful in our day and age. We just sort of, what about this and what about that? What about he did this first? It's, it's his fault. Well, it's no, well, he did it to me. There's no hurt. She hurt me so bad. There's no provision for the flesh. 
There's no mere management of this either. He uses the Romans 8.13 motif, which says we need to kill sin, mortify sin. He calls unfaithfulness what it is. He hits it on the head. Because he, he, in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 48, he says, listen, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, take it out. He says, there's a no-holes-bar attack on sin. We're not going not to tolerate it. He calls it what it is, and he deals with it because Jesus is a no-loopholes preacher. He's a radical truth kind of preacher, and he's an against-sin kind of preacher. So where does that leave us? And I know I'm at my time, but I, I feel like I need to spend the time to do this. So if you need to leave, I too understand this, but I do want to get this point across to you. I want to be very, very direct with you. So you're sitting here listening to what I'm saying and you say, well, I've been thinking about having a divorce. My relationship's not working. It's not right. Something's wrong. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's the other person's fault, whatever the reasons are. I want to tell you based on the authority that God spoke Jesus I believe is God what he just spoke to us in Mark chapter 10 if you're a follower of Jesus do not get a divorce I want to qualify that because I have all kinds of qualifications in my head I just want to be honest with you but I do not believe Jesus gives us a lot of qualifications for that if we're followers of Jesus now I will say I'm because I gotta say it because I'm Matthew I do believe the Bible does make exceptions for things like uh, infidelity and, and, of course, abuse and things like that. I, I, I want to be practical here and realistic, but the thing is, the master doesn't give us any loopholes. He really doesn't. He really doesn't. He says, love and serve that spouse. The master says only he's the one that has a right to end it. What, what, what God's put together, let no man put asunder, he says. But the master says you have to either choose him or sin. Which one do you want? This is what he's saying. Are y'all uncomfortable? Because I am. I'm just telling you what he's saying. Jesus does that to me sometimes. But I would argue if he doesn't do that to you, sometimes you're not taking him very seriously. As I said, there are good reasons, but I think, unfortunately, a lot of times, I can't speak to every situation because that's not, not my intent, but unfortunately, too many divorces are happening to get one spouse out of the way so that they can pursue another relationship. That's what Herod did. That's what Herod did. And I can tell you unequivocally, no question, that's sin. That's sin. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your motives are. You may have good intentions. That's sin. That's what I know for a fact, sin. But what if I'm, you may ask, well, I've been divorced and I'm remarried at this time. If I'm reading that, if you read 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12, and you want to really take them seriously, you may say, well, I'm, I'm a, committing adultery. Do I need to get a divorce? <laughs> no, Jesus is not saying go get a divorce. It's not what he's saying. Not at all what he's saying. I want to tell you, again, just as unequivocally, Thank God that Jesus forgives, that Jesus heals, that Jesus reconciles. It's only Jesus that can transform the heart and the life of a man or a woman. He's the one that protects us from the harm of sin. Do you understand that if Jesus had not died on the cross, talking about divorce and remarriage would be the least of our problems? 
Do you understand that that's merely the tip of the iceberg of the of this the the awfulness and the wretchedness of not this, just the sin that you're going to do, but the sin that is going to be done to you? Because some of y'all are, if you want to put it in these terms, are the victims of a marriage breaking apart. And can you imagine if Jesus had not forgiven sin, if Jesus had not repaired the damage of sin, that what that might mean, where where your heart would go and the hurt that you would be feeling, whatever you're feeling now may even be amplified even that many more times over. What I believe that Jesus is telling here is he certainly would tell us to be a disciple where we are. Some of these men who are following Jesus, uh, they weren't necessarily the the best uh, characters before they followed Jesus. But Jesus is saying, just pick up where you are, follow me from this point forward. Don't look for loopholes. See the marriage that you have. If God has granted you the grace of a marriage, see that marriage as the marriage that God has put together for you. And make sure in that moment that you're in right now that every bit of unfaithfulness. Can I just go ahead and define this a little bit for you since I'm way over my time? Y'all just going to listen to me now? Every bit of unfaithfulness. I'm not just talking about going and living with another person. I'm talking about unfaithfulness in your heart, in having conversations that you know you ought not be having with someone, of the, well, of anyone for that matter, because in this day and age it doesn't matter about sexuality anymore or, or gender anymore, because uh, people do all kinds of stuff. So those, those, those conversations that you have that are giving your heart away to somebody that you know better than to do because you know what you're feeling inside, and you can say, well, that's not me, preacher, and I don't know. I'm going to say, okay, I agree with you because I don't know, but you know that's the same thing. Some of you that look at another person, a man or a woman, and you think thoughts in your mind that you ought not be thinking about those people and you're married, oh my goodness, that's unfaithfulness. So whatever that relationship is that you're in right now, if God has granted you that grace, view every bit of unfaithfulness to that marriage as sin. And if you're like my son, who's looking at getting married in a few months, and say, well, this doesn't even apply to me. This passage is not about divorce, not just about divorce. It's about divorce, but it's not just about divorce. It's literally about anything that you would put in front of Jesus as your master. There's no loopholes with Jesus. You're in or you're out. You follow him or you don't. There's only one truth, not yours and mine or this one and that one. There's God's truth. You trust God, not your feelings, not your special situation. Don't we do that? There's always a circumstance. There's always an excuse. There's always a, you need to understand my situation, and therefore it's not as bad. No, not with Jesus. There's truth, and there's not truth. There's sin, and there's not sin. And Jesus is a a master who is against sin, telling us to cut off the damage of sin by any means necessary. And I am closing. Are you even following Jesus this morning? Are you just trying to be religious and get Jesus to agree with you? Are you trying to make Jesus into a kind of teacher that he's not? Maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you're just not a very faithful follower. I want to encourage you, strongly urge you, to get in line behind Jesus and let him call the shots. 
I want you to get in line behind Jesus. Let me tell you that in this life, there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be hard times, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be some things you're going to have to say no to your flesh about, but in the long run, the eternal run, Jesus is right, Jesus wins. You want to be on his side. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.